right. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you today. Um, just a, a couple of, uh, of announcements. Pastor texted and said um, that they're doing great, that they're in full-time ministry uh, today, and uh, many are leaving to come back home um, at sporadic times, so just continue to be in prayer for them. And, and that leads us into tonight. We will not be having prayer class, but we do invite you to come up here to pray, to continue to invite excuse me, the presence of the Lord uh, in Brazil and the work that they're doing, uh, safe travels for those that are returning home soon, and, and just uh, really a thankfulness for all that he has done and all that he's going to do there. Um, and, and just continue to be in that prayer. So we just thank you, Lord. All right. Now, I'm going to introduce Kelly as she comes up. Um, you have a handout, rare for me, but you have a handout. So if you will, we'll start at the, uh, the top here. Uh, I tried to put page numbers at the bottom, but it cut off. So if there's a little tiny dot at the bottom, that's page two. Go to the other side and look for page one. You know, last uh, Sunday, um, I had the, the distinct privilege of being here with you and, and speaking, and um, many said, I, I got a lot of great responses from last week, and, but one of the responses that I got was that it was a, uh, a harsh message, not, not from an individual, but, but in general, that it was a harsh message. And, and I started to look back at, at what I said and, and thought, um, I, I didn't intend it to be harsh. I, I was trying to clarify what I believed and, and um, what I feel this church believes as well. And, and so as, as I was studying for today, uh, Truth in Love is what the, the title of this sermon is called, uh, I, I thought back to that message and began to think about my words and, and, and wanted to clarify that there is no um, judgment in my heart for any particular group of people that, that may be out there that felt that this was a harsh message. Um, I, I want to go back to the early days of the church. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip down in my, my notes. Um, so if you do want to go back to the other side, go back. Uh, I want to go back to my notes and, and talk about the early church for a second. When, when you think about, this is, this is the uh, Sunday School Part 2, brother, that you were looking for. When you think about the disciples and, and who it is that they were and what they did, um, I was talking to Kelly about this yesterday. Why did Jesus have to have disciples? Why did he have followers? Why, why were these, this group of men coming around him and, and doing his bidding, if you will? And, and we started to talk yesterday um, about them and what they did and what they brought in, in Sunday school, if you haven't heard that message, I, I told you why I believed that Jesus chose those 12 individuals specifically and, and what they brought to the table. But, but more than anything, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea about you know, the 12, why the number 12 and the, um, the children of Israel and all that good stuff. But when you think about what Jesus was accomplishing back then, you know, we started talking about logistics and, and Jesus needing help when it came to the distributing of fish, for example, right? 
Jesus was multiplying the fish, but he needed someone to hand them out, so he had 12 guys follow him along. We also discussed the potential that, hey, you know, Jesus wanted this to be recorded. He wanted someone to write this stuff down and keep it in their heart. And so he had 12 guys walking around writing everything that Jesus said. And, and those things may be true. Uh, I'm not denying the fact that obviously some of them wrote scriptures. I'm not denying that some of them helped pass things out, but I, I don't necessarily think that's, that's the main crux of why Jesus had these individuals following him. More than anything, we, we see that the disciples followed Jesus because Jesus knew that he had to, in essence, replicate himself. He had to show them how to walk in order for them to show others what this means for their lives. And, and so as Jesus is calling them, he, he tells them very specifically, follow me, follow me. And, and they follow Jesus. And, and it wasn't just a, look, I'm going to walk, and you come be a zombie behind me and consume everything that I do. That, that was not the intention, right? When, when we see the words, follow me, what, what Jesus is in essence saying, I'm going to do something, and I want you to emulate it. I want you to do the same thing now and when I'm gone. And, and we see Jesus call, uh, calling them out and saying, look, um, you go two by two, you go into this land, and you go and preach the gospel. And he began to disciple them, nurture them, teach them, and train them, and, and really start moving forward into what he wanted to accomplish. And so, again, if you skip to the, to the back of the page, um, he even tells us through them in, in Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The, the word baptized there is, is the word baptizo. It, it's the word that we use, obviously, uh, or, or the concept we use when we baptize somebody. Um, they're in, in different sects of Christianity, um, you see this idea of baptizing through sprinkling, and then you get this idea of baptizing through full immersion. Ours as a church uh, is a, a sect of Christianity that believes in full immersion because of this word right here. Um, this was not why we believe in the full immersion. We see that elsewhere in Matthew when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and the full immersion that happened there. This word baptize means to pickle in a sense. Anybody ever had pickles before? Yeah, my, my daughters love pickles. They love them. My wife does not like pickles. She's the only person in her family who does not like pickles, and it's a travesty. But pickles we we've never actually canned or pickled anything the the closest i've ever gotten to pickling is we would buy cucumbers and we would slice them and we'd put them in in pickle juice overnight or for a day or whatever back in the fridge and that was our version of you know recycling that pickle juice and making more pickles right but that's the closest we've ever gotten the the process of canning and and pickling um is is an intense one but that's what this word really means. You can, you can dip a cucumber 
in pickle juice, in, in vinegar and spices and the various things that make pickle juice pickle juice, right? You can dip a cucumber in there and you can leave it overnight, uh, but that's not truly pickling, right? That's just adding some flavor to your cucumber. That's what we do. Pickling is, is the process by which you take this, this cucumber and, and you change the chemistry of it so that it takes on the properties of whatever it's being immersed in. It, it's kind of like when you brine a turkey. If, you, if you've ever brined a turkey, right, the, the full immersion that goes in there and, and the pressures that, that are involved and the cooking and all the things that go on with the, with the pickling is what changes a cucumber from a cucumber into a pickle. That is what this baptiz, baptizo word really means. And, and so when Jesus said to the disciples, go and baptize the nations, what he was saying was, I want you to fully immerse them in what I have taught you here today. Go and baptize these nations. When, when you say to them, follow me, it's not just a do what I do, but it's a full immersion into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That is what he's talking about right here. In, in the days of the early church, Jesus obviously left, right? He's obviously in our hearts, but he left bodily. And, and what he had to leave behind was a group of people that knew and understood him and knew and understood what he wanted them to accomplish. He was changing the paradigm uh, of what religion was for the Jewish people. And they were persecuted for it. They were, they were ridiculed for it. Uh, and, and they had a lot of hardship in their lives because of what Jesus was saying. Turn the other cheek. He was, he was being revolutionary in the way that he said things, the way that he did things. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was, he was, um, he was reaching out to the, the Gentile. He was doing all these things that you don't do as a Jew. And, and so for these disciples to then pick up where he left off was incredibly difficult for them. Incredibly difficult. And, and many suffered because of it. Obviously, like I said, in Sunday school, there was really only one person who, who didn't die, wasn't martyred for his faith, and that was John. Every, every single one of the disciples, of the other disciples, except Matthias because he's not really a disciple, but every single other one of them uh, was martyred for their faith. Every single one of them. And, and so when you look at this, they, they, they had this hardship, hardship that they had to endure in order to follow Jesus. He told them, follow me, and they followed him even to the point of death. But, but where do you go from there? We, we don't read about the disciples of, of Peter. We really don't read about the disciples of, of Thomas. Right? There, there might have been some. I'm not saying they're not, but I'm just saying we really don't read about them in the book of Acts and, and, and beyond that in history unless you really go and study these types of things. What we see is these guys writing a bunch of letters, a bunch of books. We see another man come in, Paul, who was not a disciple, uh, but who came in and, and was given this apostolic mantle by Jesus himself, maybe as a replacement for Matthias, I don't know. But, but we see him being pulled into the flock and then being used by Jesus to really expand the kingdom. And, and so Paul then goes and begins to disciple the nations. And how does he do that? When, when you think about the early church, what was the early church? The early church was essentially prayer groups. It was a, an individual, let's, let's call him Peter, 
who would go around and begin to preach and say, hey, there's a better way. This man named Jesus came. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. Let me tell you about the things that he did and the miracles and the blah, blah, blah. Now he's telling people. He's telling people corporately, right, standing on a soapbox and, and yelling it out to the crowds, and he's telling people individually. That is how they spread this message. He would go around, and, and as he saw someone that was sick or in pain, he would go up to him and said, hey, God wants to heal you. I, I don't have any money. Silver and gold have I none. But, but what I do have, I want to give that to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And he would go around. He and others like him would go around, and they would begin to preach the good news. And that's how they spread the good news, the gospel, and they would begin to talk to these people about that. But, but it was one thing for them to have those, those intimate moments um, at, at a point in time and then to just cut it off right there and a different thing altogether, which is what they did, they, a different thing altogether to say, hey, come and follow me as I walk in Christ. And so many times when they did something like that, they would go into the homes and they would preach the gospel in the home. And, and the, the people in the home would then ask, hey, can you stay another day? I would like to invite my, my in-laws. I would like to invite my family. My uncle is here visiting. I'd like for him to be a part of this. And, and that is when they would get this, this group of people together and they would preach the gospel. That, that is what church was in those early days. That was the church. And we see examples of this as, as, as one of the disciples is speaking, and, and it's so crowded in the room, right? There's a guy on the window, and, and he, they're going on and on and on. Then all of a sudden, he falls asleep, and he falls out of the window, and he dies, and the guy's got to come running down, healing him, and then he starts his message right back up, right? That is what these disciples were doing as they were preaching the gospel in prayer groups, in rooms, letting people know about Jesus and what he was, or who he was and what he was doing. That was the early church. At one point in time, someone had the uh, brilliant idea of saying, look, we need this message to continue on. And, and Paul, and Peter, and Thomas, and whomever else, they're leaving. They're, they don't live here. They're just visiting. But, but we need someone to really learn what these guys are doing and and." keep it here in our home. So they would send these young men, young pastors, to go with the disciples. They would follow them, and they would learn all the things that these disciples were doing. They would learn it. Uh, an example of that is Timothy. Timothy was called by his people, by the Lord. He was given the heart uh, of a pastor, and he was told, hey, go and follow him, go and learn from him, and, and be this pastor. It, another way to see it is, is Paul sees this young man and he says, you know, the Lord wants you to follow what I'm doing, to follow Jesus, follow me as I follow Christ, and, and to learn everything that there is to know about this so that you can teach the people. And so young pastors like that would be found um, wherever these disciples went, and they would begin to seed those pastors with information. And at one point in time, you would get messages like, like mail going back and forth, probably some dove at the first Twitter, right? The, some dove going around and, and giving information to Paul about what's going on, and he would write back through some courier and say, hey, I've heard that these things are going on in your church. Let me tell you. I can't visit, but let me tell you why 
This is right or wrong or whatever it may be. That is where you get the book, 1 Timothy. That's where you get the book uh, or the letter to the Corinthians, the letter to the Ephesians, because they, they would go back and forth with this, this disciple, this apostle, and they would say, hey, here's the problems that are going on in our congregation. Here's, here's what's going on. Hey, we just found out this new thing, and it's called love everybody and do whatever you want. And, and Paul would write back and say, no, guys, come on. It's not what I was saying. Here, let me outline it very clearly. Here is what I was saying. Here's what Jesus wants you to do. That was the early church. And so then from there we get this collection of letters that Paul wrote to the various churches. Obviously it becomes our portion of scripture. But Paul is writing these letters uh, and sending them out to the various churches. And what would happen is they would take these letters and they would read them verbatim to their congregation. They would say, look, this is, this is what Paul is saying. Hey, I greet you. Hey, he greets us. I greet you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Be blah, blah, blah. And he would just go into it. And, and someone in that congregation would be visiting from a different congregation. They would say, hey, can we get a copy of that letter? And so then these letters began to spread all throughout that holy land. As, and as they were spreading, they were being copied. They were being um, transferred to others. That's how this, this scripture came to be put together. In fact, we know that Paul wrote through what he says and through history, we know that Paul wrote four books, four letters to the Corinthians. And we only have two of them in, in our scripture. We lost two of them. I mean, not this church. We didn't lose them. But, but history has lost those two letters. Um, and, and they were never found. They're referenced in his books, in that previous letter I wrote to you, I said X, Y, and Z. But that's not found in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. So we know that there is a letter missing in there somewhere. The point is, this early church was meeting through really word of mouth. They were meeting through um, cooperation, relationship, network. They were talking to each other. They were working together. They were learning from each other. These people were bold, and they said, look, I believe something. Let me go and share that. And that's exactly why Jesus did what he did. He got these 12 guys who were, who were passionate. They, most of them were zealots, as I spoke on, on Sunday morning. They were zealots. They were people that already had this fieriness inside of them. And he said, go and baptize. Go and immerse them. Go and pickle them into this, this relationship that I want you to have. The whole nation, I want you to turn them into a pickle. From a cucumber to a pickle, that's what I want you to do with these nations. And so they would meet and they would talk. And, and that is why we see in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, this verse. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the, manner of, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, churches use this particular verse to say, go to church, right? This, this is one of our favorite ones. Well, the Bible says you gotta go to church. What it was saying was, look, you've got to surround yourself with people of this like mind. Okay, if you're a tomato, you don't belong in a pickle jar, right? And he wasn't excluding tomatoes here. What he was saying is, look, you, you're called to be a pickle. Come be in the brine. 
That's what I've called you to do. So as a pickle, I'm not excluding tomatoes, but as a pickle, come on in here and, and take this flavor of the brine. I remember uh, not too long ago uh, when the girls were, were a little bit younger, maybe two, um, they, they were still eating softer foods, and, and, and Kelly was really keen on giving them vegetables. And, and so to this day, they love salad. They love vegetables. They love uh, crudite. You know what that is? The, the, just the raw crudite. Thank you. The, the raw vegetables that you can find. And they love to dip them and eat them. And they, make this, they have this um, black olive um, dipping sauce that they really like. And, I mean, you go to any other kid, it's chicken nuggets and, and it's hamburgers. Uh, so my wife has done an amazing job of really training them up to be healthy kids, to, to really want to eat healthily. And so we're, we're at this, this restaurant, and, and put out in front of us is a bowl of, of vegetables. And they're in this kind of sauce. And so Kelly grabs uh, a carrot, and, and she gives the carrot to uh, one of the girls. And, and, all, and immediately she starts to cry. It, it, it turned out to be um, jalapenos jalapenos and it was juice and jalapenos and all this they, they usually you know when you get it in a can it's jalapenos with bits of carrot in there and you open the can you just pour it out my dad loves that kind of stuff she did not know that it was spicy she saw carrot she saw kid carrot goes with kid give and and all of a sudden you know she starts crying um what did i tell oh carrots the carrot not a spicy vegetable, took on the characteristics of that jalapeno, right? It took on those the, the spiciness, the heat. It took on the characteristics of that jalapeno because it was in those juices. Jesus called us to baptize them, to baptize the nations so that they would be immersed, pickled, in the Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the way that we do that is by not forsaking the assembly of ourselves. Look at Matthew 22. Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second one is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, so why this section, as, as we go and start our sermon here in a second, why this section? Because as I was thinking about what I said last week, I, I began to think about what I'm trying to tell this congregation. What, it, what is my job? As we continue on this idea of the early church, uh, sorry I didn't finish the story, um, someone had the bright idea of saying, let's get our people together in one place and let's go get a pastor that will learn everything that Paul is saying so they got someone like Timothy and that's where you get this idea of the church as a building growing into our religion okay so Timothy becomes a pastor the people start to seed money maybe somebody has a large house and that's where they start maybe they say we have to have a separate building because we have way too many people and a house is not a church so they start doing all these things um and not to say that a house cannot be a church i'm just saying for them they were saying let's get a separate building so they got a separate building and and that's how they started to grow their church and and as that grew they said this building is not big enough let's go get another building and they would be begin to build larger and larger cathedrals 
and temples and chapels, and that's why we are where we are today. That's why we have churches placed right in the middle of the neighborhood. Ideally, they were to have the people of that neighborhood come to that location and to learn what the disciples were saying, um, really by extension what Jesus was saying, because that pastor was learning everything that they could about this. And so, why am I telling you all that? As a pastor, my, my job, the calling that God has put on my life is to look into the scriptures, to follow Jesus, and, and to share the insights that I get from the Lord as, as I walk with him. But I want to make something very clear. When I was 15, when I first got saved, I, I came to this church um, with, with no expectation, no really understanding of, of who I was and what God wanted me to do. I was just here. And, and when I heard the, the, the sermon, when Pastor finally came down and, and said, you know, hey, great drama, but um, Jesus loves you and he wants you to accept him as his Lord and Savior. And as you can see from this, this play, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, that you can be a good person and still not go to heaven. And, and, and something in my heart resonated with this idea that I need Jesus in my life. I, I need to be transformed in, in a renewing of my mind. And, and so when he said, I, would, I invite you to um, stand, I stood. It, it wasn't even a question. I just stood. And, and so I believe that was the, the first time that God really called me. Because it wasn't a, hmm, should I, should I not? What am I going to say? Do I really want this? I didn't know the implications. I didn't know where it would bring me in 20 years. I didn't know what was going to happen. All I knew was I need Jesus, and because of that, I need to stand right now. And when pastor said, all right, now come to the front, I, it's like my legs just had a mind of their own. And I, I don't even remember deciding, okay, I need to walk up there. It was just, okay, I had to stand, now I have to walk. That's it. It, it was like a, almost robotic in a sense. And I'm not saying that God puppeteered me down the aisle. I'm just saying that my, my spirit knew, hey, now, it, right now, you've got to get up and you've got to go up there. And so I did, and I stood right here. And, and I listened to what he said. And at this point in time, when I'm down here, that's when I started to look around and recognize my surroundings. And like, oh, I'm at the front now. From there, the Lord really began to move in me in, in a very unique way and he began to shepherd me into this relationship with with him with the people of the church and and at some point in my christian life about a year and a half into being a christian we were at some camp or whatever and i remember the the minister at the time saying um you know the lord, the lord is calling many of you into full-time ministry if that's you i want you to come to the front right now and and similarly I, I just i got up and i i walked to the front because i knew that's what i'm gonna that that is my calling i am called to be a pastor i'm called to be a minister and so i i walked to the front and, and i just submitted myself uh, and it wasn't a weepy situation there was no emotion involved whatsoever it was me doing what i was supposed to do and and from that time we have um as a as a as a church body in general, not again, not this church, um, what we do is we call people, or, or we say that you're called into the ministry, that, that it is something that the Lord bestows upon you. And we take that scripture that says that many are called and few are chosen to say, well, God wants to call everybody, but not everybody's going to choose. 
that calling. And, and I would argue that what, what is truly our calling is Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You are called to baptize all nations. You are called to immerse them. And, and you don't have to have some pastoral calling upon you. You don't have some um, unction that, that goes beyond um, or, or, or is, is, is predicated by some supernatural force or power. There's nothing that has to be given to you in order for you to, to fulfill Matthew 28 except for one thing, follow me. And as Christians, we've all been called to follow him, all of us. Matthew 28 is not for those who have been called into quote-unquote full-time ministry. It's for every single one of us. So I would then argue every single one of you is called to full-time ministry. Every single one of you. And, and let's, let's clarify it here. Every one of you is not called to pastor a church and come in here day in and day out and, and, and learn scripture and pray and, and get the, the, the church building things in order, etc. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that much like a pastor, every single one of you is called to pray, to study scripture, and to go and share your faith because you're following Jesus. That's what I'm saying. And, and whether there's a building involved or not is not in question. That's why we have many in, in our Saints Network who pastor outside, uh, inside of their homes because that is their church, much like in the early days. That's their church. That's their building. And, and whether there's upkeep of the quote-unquote building or not is irrelevant because what there is upkeep of is their prayer life, their study of Scripture, the, the voice that they use to share with others. And that really leads us into uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So now you can turn to page 1, and we'll start at the top. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. We'll stop right there. Pastors, we've talked about. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers we know about in this church. If, if you need to know more, you're out there in Saints Network. I don't know enough. If you want to know more, we have dozens of books and sermons that talk about it. But what is this saying? Look, now, now we can take it a step further. Some of us are called to pastor, to shepherd, right? To have the, the gift of helps and all these other things that we talk about when we talk about the fivefold ministry. Some of us are called to be apostolic, to go forth by ourselves or with, with a pair uh, or someone else or, or whatever, a team, and to go into nations and begin to preach this gospel, much like what our pastor is doing right now. Some of us are called to be evangelists. There's, there's this message inside, and there's this action, and there's this dunamis that goes along with it, and, and that is how we share our message. We see that in the life of Peter as he's going around. He's saying, hey, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk evangelism, boom, and now he can share his story. You know why I can do that? Because Jesus loves you. Let me tell you about Jesus, right? That's the conversation that he's able to have. And then when you talk about prophets, we have many prophets here in, in this congregation. I, I would also contend that all of these gifts are available to everybody who wants them, some of them more powerful inside of us than others, but you can use these things because God has bestowed upon us these offices when, when we say that he gave some to be apostles, that means that there's a, a very specific and, and hard calling upon you to be apostolic or to be prophetic or to be evangelistic. And, and so as we look again here, some of us are called to be teachers, to really study scripture, 
to be able to, to denote what's happening now versus what's happening in the spirit and to correlate the two and say, hey, this is how they apply to one another. This is what we need to do about it. There's a wisdom in there. You know, our, our wisdom seekers is a great example of that. There's, there's, an, uh, there's an evangelism. There, there, there are sermons, but they're not sermons. They're teachings. They're, they're there to edify. They're there to grow. Why? Why? Verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Speaking the truth, not your truth, the truth. There's a distinction here. There is a truth. That truth exists. And, and as Christians, we have been called to know that truth. We have been called to study that truth. We have been called to be pickled in that truth. And when we become pickled, we take a carrot and we bring it into our fold and we pickle that carrot so that when someone consumes it, they can cry out and say, this is amazing and it's hot and it's burning me up. We take those other vegetables and we bring them inside of our jalapeno pickling. We give them to small children so that they can cry. But we do that because we have been called to baptize them. And this is how. But listen to me. This is what I was saying last week. There is one truth. And, and I, I, I shared with you how I have arrived at the logic, the reasoning that I have arrived at. There, there really is uh, very little wisdom. It's foolishness, as the Bible says, to those that just don't know. This right here is, is what we do when we're called. A, perfecting of the saints. It, it's, it's interesting because this, this particular word, perfecting, only shows up in this passage of Scripture. It doesn't show up anywhere else in the Bible. So it, it's hard for me to give you another scripture that gives you a little bit more insight into it, but, but here's what the word means. It means to completely furnish or to equip. I remember um, when I was um, moving into high school, I, I, was, I went to this very elite school, St. Mark's School of Texas, and um, my, my family, obviously very poor, uh, got a scholarship, got some financial aid, uh, went into this school because of academics and, and all this other stuff. And, and having been in the public school system for obviously most of my life already, uh, going into St. Mark's was an, was an amazingly harsh transition. I, 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 I did not understand the, the depth and, and the amount of work that I would have to do to acclimate to this new world. And, and neither did my parents, or if they did, they didn't share it with me. Um, 
because when I arrived, the, I remember the first day of school, I remember this for the rest of my life, the first day of school, we, we had a, um, an English class. I, I have an English class, and so I'm sitting in that English class, and the teacher says, um, take your papers and, and pass them to the left and turn them in. First day of school. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. School hasn't started. How can I have had homework when school has not started? It does not make any sense whatsoever. And then I come to find out that St. Mark's has a summer reading program that you write an essay or you write a paper on that particular uh, book or whatever you're reading for the summer. And it's something that, that the uh, school sends out to the parents. Um, it's something that, that the kids have to do, right? It's continuing education and all that good stuff. I had no idea that I was supposed to read a book for the summer and then write a paper on it and then turn it in the first day of class. I had no idea. So I'm sitting there in this class thinking, what paper? And I don't have a computer. How am I supposed to type this in 12-point font, single-spaced, et cetera, et cetera, margins this, margins that? I had no idea what was going on. And, and so I remember feeling completely awkward and not knowing what to do. And I went up to the teacher and I said, I don't have my paper. I, I did not know that we were supposed to do this. And, and luckily, uh, by the grace of God, um, he understood. He said, I, I, I know that you're new. This is, this is what you need to do. These are the requirements. I'm going to give you two weeks, and I need you to finish this paper, and here's the book that you need to read. And, and so that's just what I had to do. To this day, I don't remember if I told my parents that this happened. I, I don't think they would have done anything about it. I mean, what can they do? Um, but but I, I was completely unprepared for what I had to do that day. And this is what this word means. It means you go into a situation and you are prepared for what's going to happen to you regardless of the situation. I, I think of my, again, I'm going to point to my wife because I think she's amazing. When, when, I, when I see what she does for our children versus what my parents did for me as a child, it, it, it's a stark, stark difference. Um, the, the school supplies that, that our kids have today, they, they come in a box and, and they're, they're packaged and they've got the pencils and the tissues and all this stuff and the glues. It's all ready beforehand. I, I have no doubt in my mind that our kids have no idea, no idea that they have to have all these things ready in order for them to just be able to go to school right? Someone is preparing them, is perfecting them so that they are ready when they get into that, uh, into that situation. And that someone happens to be my wife. I have no idea. If you ask me what the girls need for school supplies, I'd say paper and a pencil. That's it. That's all you need, really. What do you need tissues for? Anyway, the lack of preparedness, though, that, that I endured is this word right here, karatismos. It means to perfect them so that they are prepared. It means to get them to a place where you're, you're teaching them, you're training them, you're telling them, you're, you're giving them tools and gifts and fruits of the Spirit so that they understand, hey, when you're in this situation right here, this is how you're going to deal with it. That's what this perfecting of the saints means. It means getting them ready, getting them ready for whatever may come their way. Work of the ministry. And, and again, this is what we are called to, the work of the ministry, ergon, work. It's a very generic, generic word. It means work, right? It means you're doing something. So an example of that is Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle 
put it under a bushel, put on a candlestick, oh, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good ergon and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's interesting. You know, we, we read, there's, there's this debate. I don't even know why it's a debate. There's this debate on, you know, you don't, there's nothing that you can do and have to do to go to heaven. Completely agree. Nothing you can do, nothing you have to do. It is by the grace of God that you get to go to heaven. Amen. But there's work to be done. Once you are in this follow me mode, that's what Christian really means, right? A follower of Christ. Once you're in this follow me mode, there is work to be done. A, because Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and baptize. And B, in Matthew 5, he says, look, you're a light. You shine that light. You go and show them what your father has done in your life. You don't hide it under a bushel. You put it on a candlestick way up high so that everybody can see and it can trickle down. There's work to be done that you may, they may see your good works and because of those good works, glorify your father which is in heaven. James 2.18, yea, a man may say thou hast faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show thee my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. It takes grace, takes grace, a free gift from God, takes grace for you to be, um, to, to have a relationship with God. You cannot have a relationship with God unless you go by the grace through Jesus. We know that. We, we don't dispute that. But once you have done that, Jesus says, hey, you're not done. Otherwise, why not just kill them as soon as they become Christians and get them on to heaven? It is now work. There is now work to be done on your behalf. That is what this word work means. And then finally, edifying of the body of Christ. Oikodome. It, it means to build up. It, it's a teaching foundational items in order to create a structure. I remember uh, several years ago, when we first built our home in Forney. And um, we would drive by the plot of land because we, you know, we, it was cheap land out there and you can get a cheap house and it was our starter home and all this stuff. And, and so we, we went out there, we picked a plot and, and we picked a, 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 an architectural model of what we wanted our house to be. And it was a Ryland home and we were so excited. We got to pick out the tile and the backsplash and all this other stuff. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience. And so uh, we would go every once in a while after church and just drive by the plot to see what was going on. Because right, when we got there, it was completely empty. We were probably the, the first or second, maybe the third house ever on this plot of land. And, and so we're there and we see what they're doing. And uh, first, 
you know, they're, they're, they're leveling that land. They're grading it so that the, the water goes out in a very specific way when it rains and et cetera. Then they're, they're making holes to fit these pipes, and then on top of that, they're going to pour this concrete. Once they've done that and it's settled and it's ready, then they start to put up uh, the studs, the beams. And, and once they've done that, then they start to put on a roof because you don't want everything to get wet when you're working on it, right? So they're putting on this roof. They've got, they've got this structure. We were able to walk in, probably illegally, but whatever. We, we walked into this house and, and just started looking at uh, all these beams, these studs everywhere. It, it, you can't really envision what the bedroom is going to be like because there's just studs and emptiness. But, but you got this sense of, wow, this is this is mine. This is, this is ours. We're going to start our home here. This is, this is where our TV is going to be, and this is where potentially a crib might be. This is where we're going to put our couch and watch our TV, right? All this stuff we're thinking about. And then we get to the point where then they're filling it up with wires, and then they're filling it up with insulation. It's a step-by-step process. And it's interesting because the way they do it has to be done um, very specifically. You can't, in, you can't put in the insulation before you put in the wires because then you're going to have to cut away the insulation and put in the wires. You can't um, put the roof on last even though it's at the very top because if, as you're doing the inside, if it rains, then everything's going to get wet. So you have to do things in a very specific order. That is what this word means. The word building up means to take them step by step into an instructional model of what they need to know and understand before they can continue on in this faith. That, that was the job of the apostle, the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, and the evangelist. You have to know all these things and be able to immerse the people in them so that they understand that you have to do it this way. You don't take a new Christian and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you into the lion's den. I want you to prophesy to that person over there, and I want you to lay hands on them. They have no idea what that even means. Sometimes we don't know what that means. We throw them in. We, we don't do this, but you throw them in, and you say, go and, and prophesy to them. Give them a, a, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. It has to be a word of knowledge, right? We don't do that. Why? Because they don't understand themselves. There has to be this building, line upon line, building of of understanding so that they can then turn into this ministry, whatever they've been called into. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. There, it may, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore I know not the meaning of the voice. I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. He that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Spiritual gifts is great, he says. But the primary thing that you need to remember is you have to edify. You have to build up the church. And this is not talking about stoking their ego. This is not talking about make the person feel good when they're in the church. That is not what this means. It means to foundationally begin step by step building them up into what they need to be. And so as I was thinking about, again, last week and, and what, what I wanted to share this week, it, it really was this. It's, it's there is a truth out there. It's the truth that we know and love. 
And we have to be able to be a people that speaks this truth in love for perfecting, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. That is what we have been called to, every single one of us. Not, not those that have been, quote-unquote, called into the ministry as full-time ministers. It should all be full-time for every single one of us. Full-time for me doesn't mean that I'm here in this building full-time, nine to five. That, that, that doesn't work. Full-time means that every single day I am a minister. Every single hour of the day I'm a minister. So when I'm at my, my office downtown working there, I'm a minister. I may not be preaching the gospel when I'm there. That's an HR faux pas. But let me tell you that my witness and the way that I conduct myself and the things that I say are that thing. That is the ministry that we've all been called to. And, and so as we go from this place, and I want you to think about what, what has God called you to? What is the truth that you are going to be sharing in love? And, and, and so we, we go forth from this place as ministers. Every single one of us, every, every single person listening to this, what is that ministry that God has called you to? What will you be doing for the work of the ministry? Father, I, I just thank you that you are in this place, that you have touched these people. I thank you for the way that you have uh, ordained and, and navigated this church to be a ministry unto the nations. Father, we have submitted ourselves to you and to that calling, and Lord, we, we, we invite you to continue to use us in a mighty way. Whatever it is that you want to do through us, Lord, we submit to you. Father, as we go forth today, this morning, from this building Lord, let us remember that our ministry extends out even then, that, that we are Christians inside the building, outside the building, and, and Father, that we have lives to pickle, we have lives to touch, and give us the power, give us the anointing, give us the, the unction, the fruit, in order to touch those lives, Lord. Reveal to us the things that we need to say, that we need to do, that, that we need to be. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.